So who sinned? Who messed up? Who made God angry? That someone must have angered God was the only explanation in the first century, where the story of the man blind from birth in our gospel comes, for something bad to happen. I think that it's pretty fair to say that we're in the midst of something bad happening right now with our global pandemic. It is not hyperbole to say that this could be the worst global crisis of any of our lifetimes. I certainly hope it is. I don't want to think about what could be worse. Our scriptures this week dance through themes of blindness and sight, darkness and light. They speak to the way that God sees and the discrepancy between that and the human way of seeing things. Our scriptures begin with a king who had lost his vision for leadership. Saul had gone from a good, equitable king to a paranoid tyrant, and he had to be replaced. Samuel was tasked by God to find the replacement. His task was ominous. To find a replacement for an angry, paranoid dictator is not for the faint of heart. Nevertheless, he headed out to Jesse's house to find a new king amongst Jesse's several sons. Jesse brought out his eldest first, a fine specimen for a king. And you know the story, on and on with different sons, each gallant, handsome, and true. And God kept telling Samuel, no. Finally, Jesse said, listen, I have one more son who I actually put on shepherd duty today because I just knew that he was so forgettable and it was impossible that you would choose him. But if you want to meet him, I can call for him. In an unexpected twist, God's anointed one was a little boy named David, who paled in comparison to his older, more qualified brothers. He was small, the baby, so he wasn't set to inherit anything, and completely forgettable. God told Samuel, you look on the outside appearances, but God looks at the heart. This truth is our guidance and our standard for sight as people of faith. We are invited to not trust the way we might see the world, but to instead trust the God who looks at the heart of things. Our gospel this morning cuts to the heart of vision. A man born literally blind from birth was healed by Jesus and drama ensued. People assumed that this man had been blind from birth because of sin, so they didn't really feel the need to feel bad about it. So convenient, right? If bad things only happen to bad people, then we could have a free pass from feeling bad about those bad things. And as I stated before, that was the way people in the first century dealt with these types of scenarios. So when the man blind from birth was healed, it was very inconvenient for the community. It created questions that could not easily be answered with the usual dismissing answers. It created tensions of assumptions, and it challenged the status quo. And so rather than rejoicing with this man who had been blind and could now see, the community was perplexed, angry, afraid. They probably felt a little bit guilty, a little bit frustrated. You see, the community had been looking at the outside of things, the appearance of things, using their own way of being and classifying things and, and their own way of, of making themselves feel just a little bit better about the brokenness in the world. They had not been looking 
at the heart of things. Jesus pointed them towards something far deeper that day than cause and effect or blessing and curse. Jesus showed them that at the heart of things is God's desire to heal. The reason that the man had been blind, Jesus said, was not to punish him for sin, for his sin, or for his sin or for his parents' sin, but so that God could be glorified. And now this is where we have to hit pause for a minute and unpack something extremely important because this, this scripture read uh, just at face value could, could be really troubling to a lot of folk because it sounds very much as though God made this man blind to prove a point, as though God were a child with a magnifying glass over an ant just sort of experimenting with humanity. But that is not the case. Jesus, when he says this, is expressing something far larger He's expressing that everything, everywhere is an opportunity for God to be glorified. Remember that our vision is so small and finite, and God's vision is is massive and omnipotent and, and thorough and to the very heart of everything. And so we like to read this story, for example, and make it true for just that one place and that one time. We want to trap and confine it to this one instance of blindness and sight, but in God, this truth is everywhere all the time, just as Christ is. Jesus is saying, look, everything exists to glorify God, including, but not limited to, the fact that this man happened to be born blind, and I healed him just now. Open your eyes. Look all the way to the heart of things, and you will miraculously see the glory of God. So, who sinned? Who messed up? Why is the whole world dealing with this pandemic? Doctors having to make impossible choices on who to treat and who to leave without treatment. Families separated from one another. Fear coursing through our veins like an overdose of an illicit drug. Why? Let me be clear. God does not create things like this pandemic to curse, punish, or kill people. We live in a world alive with things that will die, including viruses, including us. This is not the first virus to march through the globe and kill masses. Terrible things like this are a part of living in the community with all of creation, all of us mortal. It just is. If we believe that God's vision is different from ours, however, we need to consider that somehow, some way, God will be glorified here too. This thing that terrifies us, that grieves us, that hurts us, somehow God might use to glorify God's self. If God is glorified in the sunset and in the chubby baby and in the Grand Canyon and in the mighty ancient Redwood, somehow, some way, God can be glorified in this experience that we share too. I do not yet know how, church. I'm starting to see glimpses in the way that we're loving each other. I'm starting to see glimpses in the hope that we have for a different kind of future. I'm starting to see glimpses in the way that, that we're making sacrifices. But we must trust the God of the resurrection that it is possible. If we are to believe God, 
then we will trust that the God who sees to the heart of things is a healer, a sustainer, and a lover of our souls. That through even this, God will show God's self as faithful and true. My calendar at church above my desk is by Northwest artist Nikki McClure. She's fantastic. And it has an image for each month with one word attached to the image. The one word for March is attached to an image of a little child with a chicken. It's super cute. But the word is together. (laughs) Very ironic since we have to be physically separated right now. But I got to thinking this week that, that this is one of the biggest projects that we have attempted together. We have a goal to keep each other safe and to achieve that goal we have sacrificed. Some of us are alone and lonely. Some of us are trapped in homes with those we love um, more than anything in the whole world and who we actually can't stand some of the time because no one signed up for 24-7 life, even with the loves of one's life, with no school, no work, and no play dates. It's just too much sometimes. Many have given up projects, goals, vacations, weddings, two couples in our own church here at Burlington Lutheran Church. Um, One couple is getting married in three weeks and of having to postpone, and the other couple is getting married next Saturday in their living room. There are seniors this year who will give up the chance to graduate, go to prom, hug their favorite teachers at commencement. The Olympics will probably be canceled this summer, and who knows what else. And at the end of all this, there could be permanent losses of jobs, health setbacks that are insurmountable, families who were never able to say goodbye to loved ones for the final time. All of this has and will be given up for the good of one another. Here we sit in our living rooms. I record this sermon in my bedroom at home my kids watching television downstairs, my husband sitting on the couch, our dogs snoozing under the bed. We all sit in our own homes with food in our pantries, shows ready to binge watch with toilet paper or no toilet paper. And we sit here alone but together on one of the most important joint projects of our lives, keeping one another safe together. We may be blind to what comes next, but we choose to trust the God who looks at the heart of things. We choose to believe that somehow, some way, God will be showing us new things, new beauty, new joy in this unprecedented and impossible time. We choose to, during this wilderness Lent, see God as a God who sees when we cannot. So, May the God who see the heart of things fill you with peace amidst uncertainty and hope for your weary soul. Amen.